When I look at what Jesus has done and I consider the subtlety and malice of Satan, the weakness and the impurity of man's heart and the foolishness found there, I have to come to grips that it is morally impossible except the people will offend and be offended. This being said, I have to prepare myself, not for if it happens, but for when it happens. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. In your notes, Matthew chapter 11. I've shared this story before, but it really bears uh, uh, pertinence to the message today. I've titled the message, What Do We Do With What We Know To Do? Or just the bottom line is, What Do We Do With Offense? There are two Buddhist monks, and I, I want to start out this way, because, and I've shared this story before, and it's, but it, like I said, it's just critical to this message. They were on their way to the monastery, and we have a little picture up on the screen. You can thank my wife for this PowerPoint. It's kind of cool. She put it all together for us. Uh, and they found this beautiful woman standing on the riverbank. Well, like them, she was wishing to cross the river, but the river was too high. It was too swift for this this small, frail little woman to to pass, so one of the monks lifted her onto his back and carried her across the river. The fellow monk who was with him was scandalized. For two full hours, he berated the monk that carried her on the negligence to keep the holy rule. Had he forgotten that he was a monk, that he was not supposed to look upon a woman or even touch a woman? and actually carry this woman on his back across the river, what would the people say? And the self-righteous monk continued to berate this man, saying, you're going to hold our holy religion in disrepute. And he continued, and he continued, until the offending monk, who patiently listened to the never-ending sermon, finally broke in and said, Brother, I dropped the woman at the river. Why are you still carrying her? Now, I want you to look at me. Don't look at your notes for just a second. There are too many people that too long after they have been offended, they keep carrying the offense. They keep carrying it around. They keep under the weight of it, under the burden of it, under the struggle of it. And I think it's because some people... They either don't want to get rid of it because they want to be a victim. Don't look at me like that. we got a lot of people like to play victim. 
or they really don't know how to get rid of it. And what I want to do today and next week is help us to understand how to get rid of it. Offense, what do we do? Well, I'll give you a little insight. The first thing is you've got to do is get God involved in that offense. If I have learned nothing else in my 30-plus years of ministry, I have learned this, and that is simply that all things are not as they seem. My wife and I work with people every day. If you're in leadership in this church, you work with people to one capacity or the other every day. Let's get you outside the church. If you are a Christian, how many work with people in the world? I knew this message would be good. We deal with people every day. We think in the church it's easier, but how many leaders can say amen that it's not? See, the things that seem to be are not the way they should be. And what should be many times is not. And what should not be is usually what comes to pass. Yet in the midst of it all, God promises to be faithful. Matthew 11, in your notes, if you have your Bible. Now it came to pass that when Jesus finished commanding his 12, that he departed to teach and preach in the cities. And when John, John Baptist, had heard he heard in prison about the works of Christ. Now let me stop there for just a second. Look at me. John Baptist is Jesus' physical cousin. They were relatives. John the Baptist was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He is the one who the word of God said all the way back in the old covenant. That one with the spirit of Elijah would come in the last days. That would be a voice crying in the wilderness, making, saying, make straight the way of the Lord. John Baptist is the one that stood on the bank of the river when Jesus came. Now grab this, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about a fence today. He saw Jesus coming, and he stopped everything. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John knew who Jesus was. But now John's dealing with offense. He's in prison. He's saying, God, I didn't think it was supposed to be this way. All I did was stood up for what was right. I remember reading the story about President Andrew Jackson, how there was a well-known preacher named Peter Cartwright, who was uncompromising in his preaching. However, one day, President Jackson came to church, old, rough, and ready. All the people were up in arms because it was a very well-known church, very big church. And they all went to Peter Cartwright, and they said, please, because they knew he could be offensive in his preaching. How many know when you preach the word of God, it can be offensive? And they came to him, and they said, Pastor, understand that the president can affect 
our denomination for good or bad. You see the separation of church and state, how the government comes in and tries to control the church? So they told him, they, they beseeched him, they begged of him, say, Pastor, do not say anything that will discredit the church. The pastor looked at him and said, okay. The elders went back content that their pastor wouldn't say anything. When Pastor Cartwright got up on the pulpit, his very first words, as I understand President Andrew Jackson is here with us this morning. And I have been requested to be very guarded in my remarks. Let me say this. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent of his sins. The entire congregation gasped. The elders were were awestruck, not in a good way. When service was over, they were expecting Andrew Jackson to have the pastor drawn and quartered. But instead, the president walked up to the pastor and said, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could conquer the world. Come on, folks. Pastor Cartwright was not worried about offending the president. He said, I'm more worried about offending my Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, the scripture is clear that John knew exactly who Jesus was. But things were not going the way he thought it should. So look at me today. Life doesn't always go the way we think it should. Things don't always work out the way we wish they would. And if so... We would do as we wish we could, and that's change things. But sometimes we can't. John is in prison for preaching against Herod. Like like Pastor uh, Cartwright, he told Herod, you killed your brother just so you could marry his wife. You're going to burn in hell. That could be offensive to a king. They threw him in prison, and we know the story. John lost his head. He was beheaded for the cause of Christ. But I want to go before that time. John knew who Jesus was. John had a relationship not only with his cousin, but with his Lord and Savior, the one who was to come to take away the sins of the world. And he heard in prison of all the great works that Jesus was done, And he sent two of his disciples. Listen to me. Look at the power of offense. He took and sent two of his his disciples to him and said, Are you the one to come or do we look for another? You see the picture. He knew who he was. He knew he was the Messiah. He'd heard the memory, but now he's in prison. He is offended. He's saying, man, if God's really in my life, it shouldn't be happening like this. How many ever thought that? Be honest. I shouldn't be dealing with the, especially with church people. How many have ever been offended by a pastor? 
I'm glad I didn't say this pastor. It shouldn't be this way. Come on, Phil, you should shout amen there. And listen to what Jesus said. Jesus didn't run up to him to grab his hand and say, okay, come on, come on, come on. Get your hand off of hers for a second. Come on, yeah, 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 come It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, I know you're here. Yeah, you're going to lop off 20 pounds of ugly fat. I understand. <laughs> okay, but the reality is going to be okay. Jesus never showed up. Now you can hold her hand. Jesus never showed up. You know what he did? He sent his two disciples back, and he told him, he said, go tell John what you've heard and seen. Look at me, ladies and gentlemen. When offense comes, you've got to remember what you've heard and what you've seen, what God's already done, the relationship you already have with him. And Jesus then began to reinstill his faith. He said, John, you know the blind walk, or the blind see, the lame walk. The lepers were cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead were raised up. And the gospel has been preached to the poor, to everyone. And then listen to what he said. Blessed are those who aren't offended because of me. You say, Pastor, I wasn't offended because of the Lord. Yes, you are. When you sit back and allow offense to weigh you down, when you knew Jesus took the offense at Calvary, the offense is now, God, I didn't think it was supposed to be this way. Am I making sense? So let me make the statement again. What should be many times is not. And what should not be more times than not comes to pass. Offense takes on many faces. Your pastor has been offended in years gone by. And I strive with all of my heart to not take offense. There are people that do things. There are situations that occur that people ask me very simply, Pastor, does this not bother you? And my response will be, sure it does. I just choose not to let it. What was the verb in that sentence? I chose. I could let it bother me. I could love when people do stupid things upset me, but I choose not to. Am I better than anyone else? No. I've just made a decision. My God took my offense. So why am I going to take theirs? Things in this world are going to happen. Offense takes on Many faces, but probably the greatest is doubt, fear, and unbelief. We see that John Baptist was dealing with all of them. He began to doubt God's justice. He sat back and said, God, this, what am I doing in prison? I'm preaching your word. Where's that hedge of protection? Where are those angels that I don't dash a foot against a stone? 
God, what's, what's the deal here? He began to fear that God really wasn't merciful. He said, if things are the way they are right now, I mean, what's going to stop them from getting worse later? How many have ever thought that? We sit back and say, God, if, Pastor, if God is so powerful and God is so, why doesn't he just stop sin? Because he'd have to get rid of you. He'd have to get rid of me. You see, when God deals with sin, he's going to deal with it once and for all. Done. Right now, we are sinners saved by grace. And in God's mercy and God's grace, he set a time from the beginning of time. There was no time before God. God stepped out of eternity, made time, stepped in time, spent 33 and a half years walking this earth, three and a half years in ministry saying, I don't want to just tell you what to do. I want to show you what to do. This is how you walk in God. This is how you live in God. Oh, yeah, people are bumming you. People are irritating you. People are doing this. Oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is how you do this. This is how you live this Christian life. See, God didn't just tell us what to do. God came down from heaven and showed us what to do. And we still get bothered. Remember the disciples? They all dealt with offense. Remember they were going into the one city and they didn't want Jesus in there? And remember uh, uh, the, the sons of thunder was it James and John? The sons of thunder? They said, oh, Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven? Don't look at me like that, all holy and pious. You've wanted to do that. God, get them. You know what God said? What Jesus said? He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. That's kind of cold, isn't it? Second Peter says that God allows some things to happen because he wants people to get saved. He said he's not, he's not forgetful in his return. He has a time set at the end. And he said, I'm not dealing with all the rest of the stuff until then. Because to deal with it means I have to deal with you. He has to deal with me. You see, when God is a just God, That means across the board, everything's the same. Jimmy here doesn't get any more favor than than Santiago over here. Jack back here doesn't get any more favor than Mark back there. Across the board, God said, when I deal with this, it'll be dealt with. It'll be just. It'll be fair. It'll be righteous. This is why God doesn't take the evil out of the world. The third face of fear is unbelief. John's in prison and he's starting to wonder about this love of God that came to take the sin out of the world, to take the price and the penalty. That if God is really in charge and such a good God, this stuff shouldn't be happening. You see, 
all of this is the result of being offended. How many have ever thought thoughts like this after you've been offended? Be honest. Lift your hand up. Hands all over the place. Folks, I got my hands up too. Both of them. I got my legs up. I've thought these things. But I'm always reminded of what I've heard and what I've seen. You remember what Jesus told the disciples? Go tell John what you've heard and what you've seen. All that Jesus was doing is showing back up his confidence. Then, John, I am who you know I am. I am who you declared I am. But yes, you're going to go through this stuff. I touched on briefly last week one of the most devastating aspects of offense, and that is taking up another's offense. And I just want to elaborate on that just for a moment this morning. Because this is literally a double jeopardy. Jim, up here in front, gets offended by John over here. And I care about Jim. I love Jim. He's a dear friend. He's been in the church almost since day one. And John's done something. But all I know is that Jim said John's done something. I never talk to John about it. I never go see John about it. I never ask John about it. I am offended because Jim is hurt. My friend is hurt. And every time I see John, I give him a dirty look. Every time John's next to me and he puts out his hand to shake it, I walk past him. Every time he comes to try to, he has no clue what's going on. I've taken up Jim's offense. Now here a few weeks go by and Jim and John get it all worked out. They're all healed. You know what happens the next time I see John? I give him a dirty look. Next time I walk by him, I, no, I'm shaking his hand. He hurt my friend. Of course, I didn't realize a few weeks ago they got things fixed. Why? Because Jim didn't even know I took up his offense. Do you see how this picture works? How many here have taken up somebody else's offense before? You got to do something about it. Chances are the person who did it don't even know it. The person whose offense you took up aren't aware of it. And it's your life that's suffering because of it. Am I making any sense today? So let me come kind of wrap this together in the next few minutes as I want to get out of here quickly today. Did I say I want to get out of here quickly? I said you all want to get out of here. Is that one of those Freudian slips? (laughs) Pastor, you don't ever want to get out of church. Oh, more times than you know. (laughs) Oh, okay. In life, yeah, that might be deleted too. I'm not sure, but okay, leave it in. Heck, why not? It's probably one of the easier things I've said. In light of what Jesus did at Calvary, you see, all Jesus was doing, appointing John back to the understanding. John, you know what I've said. You know what I've done. You know who I am. You know all of this stuff. 
in light of what Jesus has done at Calvary, you and I have to come to the place of letting that help us deal with what someone has done. In our last two sessions, we learned very clearly the Scripture declares, offenses must come. In other words, it's inevitable that things are going to happen in life. There's just stuff that's going to go on. And when we consider, if you have not come to the Wednesday night class, I would, I would encourage you to come, and I would encourage you to come easy or early because we have only have a few chairs that, are, that haven't been occupied. The entire, if you know where the adult class is, last Wednesday night, the entire right, left side of, my, of the room was full. Uh, there was only two or three chairs in the front, and almost the other side was full. We, we don't have a lot of room. Why? Because people need to understand, and people want to understand, how do I defeat this enemy? When I look at what Jesus has done, and I consider the subtlety and malice of Satan, the weakness and the impurity of man's heart, and the foolishness found there, I have to come to grips that it is morally impossible, except the people will offend and be offended. This being said, I have to prepare myself, not for if it happens, but for when it happens. Over and over in God's word, he warns his children that this is going to happen in the world. Let me take you to the life of Paul in 2 Corinthians 11. It's going to be on the screen. (coughs) Paul. Paul is talking about those people that have risen up in the church that name the name of the Lord and say they're ministers of the gospel. And listen to what Paul records. He said, are these people ministers of Christ? He said, I speak as a fool. I am more. Paul wasn't trying to put feathers in his cap or patting himself on the back. He was trying to show them the difference between real ministry and not real ministry. Real men of God and not real men of God. He said, in laborers, I've been more abundant. I've worked diligently for the things of God. In stripes or in beatings, more above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, often. He said, from the Jews, five times I had received 40 stripes minus one. People over the years have asked me, say, Pastor, why? Why only 39 stripes? When Jesus was beaten, it was only 39 stripes. Why? Because they believed the 40th stripe would be killing. It would actually kill the person. That was the, that was the massiveness of the beatings that they got. So they always stopped at 39 stripes. Well, let me go a step further. Medical science has actually categorically put all the diseases of the world in 39 categories. Hmm. 39 categories. Say, Pastor, are you? 39 stripes? 39 39 lashes he took for us, and by his stripes we are. Hmm. In death often, 40 stripes minus one. 
That three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was in the deep, in journeys often. How many think Paul has an idea of what offense is like? In perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. And he said, besides all of this, the stuff I have to deal with in the church. How many think Paul has a good handle on what it means to be offended? And he said this one thing I do in Philippians 3. He said, I forget what's behind me, and I press on. See, Paul said, I forget all this stuff. Why? Because I know. In Romans, he said, I know who I have believed. I find that regardless of what happens around us, it's what happens in us that governs the weight of what happens to us. A true statement, when we choose not to deal with offense, when we're throwing dirt, is it not really us that are losing ground? You can shovel it and throw it and do anything you want to at anybody you want to, but you're the one that is losing ground. You see, the first step to overcoming the pain of offense is the hardest step you'll ever take. It's called forgiveness. The second part is a little easier, but it's not much. It's called letting it go. So what do we do? So what do we do? Let me take you back to that prison cell. John Baptist is there. Jesus didn't come to the cell. He didn't come visit the prison. He didn't come and do anything other than send the disciples back and said, remember who I am. Ladies and gentlemen, remember who he is. When we forget what he's done, All we can do is live in what they've done. He took the offense. This happens. This forgiveness, this letting go happens when we place our faith in the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the savior from all sin and consequence. And once we've come to trust God and accept his forgiveness, we are then in the position forgive those who have offended us. We have to understand it is only when we understand God's forgiveness that we can begin to appropriate God's strength to the pressures that you and I face in life. Ultimately, forgiving other people and ourselves is possible only when we experience God's forgiveness. In Luke chapter 7, it's not in your notes, but look in your, look in your Bible, write it down. You find the story of Mary of Magdala. We call her Mary Magdalene. But she was of the city of Magdala. She was a harlot who had gotten saved. And she came to a dinner party. No, she was not invited, but Simon was the host. And it wasn't Simon Peter. It was a different Simon. He was one of the religious rulers of the day. And Jesus comes in there. The disciples are in there. And all of a sudden, this woman comes in there. 
with a, 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 an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard. She comes in there, and the Bible says that she takes and she breaks the bottle, much like Mary did of Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus. She took and anointed his feet. The Bible says she took her hair, as did Mary, and dropped it and wiped his feet with her tears and did all of these different things while Simon, the religious man, stood in the background. And the Bible says to himself, he said, if he is really a man of God, if this is really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was. And because Jesus knew his thoughts, the Bible says, he took to him, he talked to him, and he said, Simon, what do you suppose if a man is forgiven, and I'll just use some figures, if a man is forgiven $10 and a man is forgiven $10,000, who do you think is going to love the most? And he said, well, Master, I'm sure the one that was forgiven the most. And then he begins to tell Simon, who he is. Oh, he doesn't tell him he's the Christ or the Messiah. But he said, Simon, you don't even understand simple, godly etiquette. When I walked in here, you didn't offer me anything to moisten my lips or anything to wash the day off of my feet. Since this woman has gotten here, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. This woman, since she's been here, her tears have been washing all of the struggles and the problems and the difficulties off of my... But said, Simon, and I'll just paraphrase it for you. He said, the problem you have, no, you know, Simon, is you think you're already goody two-shoes. You think you're already too good. Therefore, you don't think you've been forgiven much. Which really means you don't really understand much about forgiveness. This woman... Her sins are many. She has been forgiven a lot. So she loves much. Ladies and gentlemen, look at me just for a moment. When we take it in light of Calvary, is there a single person here that hasn't been forgiven much? Is there a single person here that doesn't deserve hell? Is there a single person here that you're so good that you just come to church because it's the thing you're supposed to do, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I, I tolerate the preacher's preaching. I do this, I do that, you know, and, and I put my token $20 in the offering. Do we really understand the value of forgiveness? Because if we don't, we'll never understand the value of forgiving. Leviticus chapter 19 says, Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives, which when you study that, that literally means your kindred in God, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. He said, confront your neighbor if they do something wrong. Confront them directly. James 5 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save the person from death and bring about forgiveness for many sins. 
You see, folks, it's better to confront somebody for what's been done rather than hate them for what's left undone. It's unacceptable in God's eyes to conceal a a secret grudge, to give somebody a cold shoulder because that's your way of revenge. Instead, we should vent our resentments with a spirit of wisdom and meekness and attempt to get our brother or sister back, to look at the wrong, to deal with it in a spirit of love. We have an obligation, and this is one of our greatest problems in being offended, is we have an obligation to rebuke the offender, and we're afraid to. We're afraid we're going to hurt their feelings. God forbid you got a knife laying out of your out of your heart, but I'm just going to go away. God will get him. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're supposed to do something about it. We have an obligation to rebuke him that they might repent and their sins be forgiven. What do we do? What do we do? Number three in your notes. To forget, we must remember. And to let go, we must grab hold. Offense is never going to go away. I made a statement last night, or last week, and I want to expound upon it today. It's not in your notes, but please write it down again. Or I might have left it. I, I might have left this in your notes. Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you because you hurt me. Did I leave that in your notes? Forgiveness is you and I surrendering our rights to hurt them because they hurt us. Forgiveness does not pretend there is no offense. It does not dismiss the wrongdoing. It does not say, oh, that's all right, just forget it. No, true forgiveness is realistic. Forgiveness is going to the person, whether you have to do it by distance, whether you have to do it in person, however it is done, but going to the person and saying, I don't understand. And I may never understand why this happened. It wasn't okay then, and it isn't okay now. But I forgive you. It wasn't okay. But I forgive you. You see, forgiving doesn't make a person a doormat. It doesn't brush it under the rug. It doesn't just say, oh, well, that's just the way it is. There was a pastor by the name of Hugh Latimer back in the days of King Henry VIII. And a similar situation like with Andrew Jackson, the the clergy came to him and said, Latimer, Latimer, the king is going to be here today. Be careful of what you say. And to himself, the pastor said, Latimer, Latimer, remember, the king of kings 
is here today. Be careful of what you do not say. For this unflinching faithfulness, Latimer was burned at the stake. Because he, like the pastor we spoke of earlier, Pastor Cartwright, he stood up and said, yes, King Henry VIII must repent of his sins. Forgiveness is never a brushing under the rug. It is never being a doormat. It is never saying, well, you know, that's okay. It is standing up and doing what is right in the midst of the wrong. See, forgiveness is not the same as tolerance. Forgiving people are not fools. Forgiving is healing myself, healing yourself for something that happened to you or to I that we cannot tolerate, but it is only forgiveness that is the ability to bring the healing that only God can give. Because when we forgive somebody, you've heard me say it a thousand times, We set a prisoner free only to find out the prisoner was you and me. Forgiveness is not based on a choice. Or excuse me, on feelings. It is based on a choice. God expects you and I to forgive whether we feel like it or not. It is a purposeful decision, an act of the will that is not dependent of emotion. Let me go back to that prison cell. John Baptist was there. And he said, Lord, are you the one to come? Or do we look for another? Let me put it in today's language. If you were really God, I wouldn't be going through what I'm going through. So there must be somebody else coming. Listen to me quickly, ladies and gentlemen. I'm doing what I'm doing on Wednesday nights to help us understand the strategies of the enemy. My job as the pastor is to educate and to equip. Very plainly, equip the saints. And that job is for the purpose that you fulfill the work of the ministry. My job is not to hire a bunch of ministers. My job is not to hire a bunch of people. My job is to raise up people to do the work of God. I got three amens out of that, so that's okay. In this day and hour we live, offense is going to be rampant. And what the enemy is going to try to do is to get you and I to believe, well, then Jesus isn't coming back because this wouldn't be happening. Jesus is, there's got to be somebody else. And the Bible says that many somebody else's will show up on the scene. And you know what the Bible says? Sadly, because we are not attuned to God's word, we just go to church. Many will be deceived. Many will be deceived. Pastor, not a church like ours. Many will be deceived. Why? Because some of us are going to go to jail. Some of us are going to be thrown under the bus. 
some of us are going to be offended beyond measure and say, if that's what church is all about, later for this. I can get this kind of stuff out in the world. I don't have to go to church for it. Many will come in my name. Say, I am the Christ. Don't believe him. Remember what I did, Jesus said. Remember what you heard. Remember what you've seen. Remember, I've warned you of all of this, Jesus said. Folks, all I am is a minister of the gospel. I just repeat what I heard and seen. That's all I do. Therefore, when the offense comes, I don't give in. Can you say amen? Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.